Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, the future of podcast is in its third season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for things that mean the most to you, the future of podcast promises to give you insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunities it creates. Subscribe to the future of at the Apple Store, Google Play, and everywhere podcasts are found, and connect with us at atb.com slash the future of. Sometimes we regale you with stuff that's going on at our house just to uh, amuse you and, and create the parasocial relationship that often forms between people who listen to content. And the people between who create it. podcaster and podcastee. Exactly. We have a tent. We have this little pop-up tent that our son got for Christmas one year. I think so. Which we haven't actually had set up for some time because we don't have a large townhouse and it takes up a, quite a bit of space in the living room and he's got other toys yeah we tend to like rotate through toys some yeah. of them go into storage and then come back out and then something else goes back in and yeah just the big stuff needs to kind of rotate and for whatever reason uh we decided to pop back up the tent this past weekend so we we moved a bunch of stuff out back down into the basement popped the tent back up instant hit <laughs> but not with our son with our young daughter. Oh, yes. It was immediately filled with several pillows. Yep. And she took her little iPad and her videos and, like, built herself a little nest. Yep. <laughs> and just snuggled in and watched videos for, like, an hour. Yeah, and now she's just, she just hangs out in the tent. Yeah, she just likes it in there. She's two. It's one of her favorite places. <laughs> or at least it has been for the weekend, because yeah. that's only as long as it's been here. And so, super adorbs. Yeah, little... Scott has a really cute picture of her just lounging on some cushions <laughs> inside this teeny little tent in our living room. It's very yeah, cute. Quite adorable. But I say that because, in a way, she's created her own little reading nook. I mean, she she's too young to be able to read. <laughs> still, it's a nook. So she's she's watching little videos on her on her little iPad, but it's still like her little nook. Yeah. And uh, that's quite adorable. So really hopefully you, our reader, have your own comfortable little nook where you can go to read or pass some time maybe with a like, cup of tea or something. Comfy cushions, very important. Yeah, maybe a blanket. Gotta have comfy cushions in a nook. I know that we definitely used our nook, which is to say the kitchen table and or sofa, to, uh, <laughs> to read up on the latest chapter. But before we get into that, a brief recap of our previous chapter in which Vey's parents crash the rebel base, uh, inform them, hey, uh, we're not the only party crashers on the way. There's actually a much larger group of party crashers who are planning to wreck up the joint. Yeah, bigger, scarier party crashers behind us by like a day. Yeah. And that effectively leads us into chapter 20 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. Before we get into this chapter, there was something back in chapter 19 that I noticed mm -hmm. that I that I wanted to bring up really quick. 
I kind of glossed over it the first time and it's come back to me. Jebby opens by saying that they got to watch Bongsunga play Baduk. I hope I say that properly. Yeah, Go, basically. Yeah, yeah Go, basically. It's a very strategy-heavy game. And Bongsunga always wins. She won every game she played, which makes me wonder how much of this grand plan of Bongsunga's is on purpose. Elaborate. Okay. Like, how how much of this is all part of the plan? Like, keeping Jebby away and in a tent, using Vey to fight, talking Arazi into helping with drills, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How, how much of what is happening and what is going on that Jebby doesn't get is actually all part of the plan? Like, I don't think Bonsunga's scrambling around and making it up as she goes. Well, I mean, there's always going to be a certain element of scrambling around and making it up as you go. Well, Especially when you find out that your secret base has been compromised and there's bad guys on the way. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think there's more to Bong Sunga's plan that Jebby clearly hasn't figured out. On the one hand, I agree with you. Um, Bong Sunga's, well, I mean, blatantly withholding information from Jebby. Oh, Jebby, yeah. Jebby is more in the dark than either Arazi or Vey, which is a little frustrating as a reader. <laughs> but uh, further to that, I mean... Bongsunga has also intimated that there's not a lot of um, cooperation between the rebel groups. There's no. actually some infighting. So there can't really be a grand strategy to the rebellion if that's the case. Because you don't have everybody working towards the same ends and you don't have everybody talking to each other. No. So my feeling is she, she might have a strategy in mind for her group, but definitely not for the rebellion. And she's even straight up admitted, like, we don't really have an endgame plan. Because we can't agree on what that endgame looks like. We know we want the Razani out, but then what? I think that's what I'm getting at, is that Bongsunga has her endgame planned. It might not be the Rebellion's endgame, but I think Bongsunga has her own. Oh, for sure. She may or may not get it. Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. She may be dead in a couple chapters, for all we know. Who knows? What we do know is that this chapter begins with Vey's dad getting marched off to go and discuss strategy because Vey and her dad are very much cut from the same cloth. Oh, yes. Well, Vey's two other parents are basically like, we should find a way to make ourselves useful. Uh, first off, they ask to see Vey, and when they're told that Vey is in the medical tent, they're like, oh, well, we can go and help with that. And they, they do, making themselves quickly useful. And because the camp is now on high alert and everybody's rushing around making preparations for this coming attack, Jebby is able to kind of like fall out of being under guard just because nobody has time for that anymore. Yeah, there are more important things than keeping Jebby in a tent <laughs> with the art. Yeah, and unfortunately, Jebby doesn't exactly have an opportunity to escape here because Arazi is quickly conscripted to go and do some recon, basically. Find out what's coming and give us some forewarning. So Jebby just spends the next couple days essentially making themselves useful. Mm -hmm. Helping build like a triage tent and helping dress wounds and basically getting ordered around by Vey's parents yeah. for the most part. But at least Jebby's doing something. Not something they want to necessarily be doing, but something. Something. I think that really, really deep down, Jebby does want to help. They just don't have any idea how. Well, not only that, they're not really being given much of an opportunity since that initial raid where they failed to do what they were asked to do. Well, they failed the loyalty test? But a loyalty test isn't the same as a, like, usefulness test. Yeah, but Bongsunga doesn't recognize how useful Jebby can be. That's part of the problem here. Bongsunga's idea of making Jebby useful is go and tell us what that art is. 
Yeah. Because you're an artist and it's the only thing you're good at. Which I mean, ouch. I know. <laughs> but also not entirely incorrect. Right? <laughs> but there's also something to be said about not giving Jebby the opportunity to do anything else, right? Yeah. It seems a little harsh, and I understand that these are harsh circumstances, but it seems a little harsh that sending someone out to kill their friend as a loyalty test, as like a first loyalty test, eh, that's a rough thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that Jebby's not loyal. I think they are. Jebby's not a ruthless killer. Yes. Which I think isn't the test that Bong Soonga should have given them, right? Also, I would argue that Jebby did pass the first loyalty test, which was to get a bunch of pigments, the pigment-making devices, and the artificial dragon (laughs) out of armor and into the hands of the rebellion. Yeah. That was the initial test, and Jebby did pass that test. Right? Like, Jebby is clearly on the same side. Well, that's a question that actually is not entirely is, If there is a fine line in the sand about on which side Jebby is on, I think it's very clear which side Jebby is on. I disagree. Bongsunga may be further away from that line. I disagree. But I think they're on the same side of the line. Jebby definitely perceives that that's the case. I will grant that. But Bongsunga might not. And the reason for that is because Jebby, and this is something that I've observed, Jebby doesn't really want to be involved in this conflict. Jebby is more interested in perhaps taking Arazi and getting out of there. And from Bongsunga's perspective, that would be equivalent of collaborating, essentially. That's just accepting the status quo. That's not fighting to get back Hwaguk. That's leaving. And that's not the same thing. So that might still be over the line, according to Bongsunga. Okay. No, no, that's fair. And if there is a threat, and Bongsunga perceives that there's a threat, that Jebby could take Arazi and leave tomorrow... That's all the motivation Bongsunga needs to keep Jebby under house arrest, basically. Mm. Because Arazi is too valuable materiel to risk just letting it go away. So I, I understand where Bongsunga's head is at. I don't necessarily agree with it. And part of the reason for that is because we're in Jebby's head. And we can see that that's not the way Jebby's perceiving things. Yeah. And so there's there's a frustrating disconnect there. But from a logical standpoint, I see where Bongsunga's coming from. Yeah. It's really unfortunate to me that they don't actually get to talk. No, they before don't. There's no time for it start to start exploding. Which is a shame. I was kind of expecting that this chapter might be the emotional climax. They'd have that talk before things started exploding. Nope, we're denied that. Things start exploding immediately. Yep. Uh, in fact, that's the very first thing that happens when the army arrives yeah. is an explosion. Uh Arazi's like incoming and knocks everyone down and there's uh incendiary shell goes off and this is apparently a fairly new technology yeah a shell that explodes yeah now it wasn't a direct hit is the good news but the bad news is it was still basically a hit uh more or less yeah and they know they've only got one or two more attacks before they zero in on where the base is and it's going to be a direct hit they need to do something so people start manning the bases and whatnot and this is where jebby decides to do something incredibly rash Yeah. Realizing that there is an advancing column of tanks, because uh, I had mentioned before Arazi had done some recon and did report back like there's there's tanks and men and automata, they're they're on their way. Jebby's like, well, I can at least maybe do something about the tanks. I don't want to, but I will try to cause another earthquake. So they scoop up 
they're Phoenix extravagant and they invade hop on Arazi without any official sanction. And they fly off towards the front to try to deal with the tank column, because if they can do that, it'll even the odds. Yeah. So they is fighting left-handed, one-handed. Yep. <laughs> huh. And is on like, Jebby protection duty. They is the diversion and the cover. No, they is the cover. Arazi is the diversion. Right. Arazi is going to try to draw fire from the tanks while they protects Jebby from any foot soldiers that might come across their position. Yes. Well, Jebby scrabbles a bunch of dirt out of the way so that they can lay down their rune on some bedrock. Yeah. And we're going to do some battle art again. Yeah. And does, basically. Arazi disassembles and a couple spiderlings come over and are like, just here to watch your back, bro. <laughs> Arazi would never say bro. Ew. Yeah. And Jebby mixes up some pigment and tries to adjust the potency of the glyph. Because last time they brought down the palace and probably killed a bunch of innocent people. And they're still dealing with that. Yeah, that's not a good mindset for, so, for Jebby. So they figure that they can try to limit the damage and probably not accidentally destroy the rebel base. Yeah. <laughs> with some adjustments to the glyph. And it kind of works. But they don't take into account trying to confine a bunch of force in a smaller area. And what ends up happening is not so much an earthquake as the earth just kind of opening up and swallowing a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Like when, a big mouth going om nom nom. Exactly. When <laughs> when the book talks about it being a perfect circle of earthquake that just sort of opens up, I legit <laughs> I legit pictured like an earth mouth just being like nom nom nom. I'm doing this thing with my fingers that no one can see. Yep. Like just a giant rocky mouth just like chewing on tanks. Om nom nom. It's very effective against the tanks. Very effective. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying. Uh, with the tanks kind of dealt with, Arazi reassembles itself, and uh, Vey starts heading back, and that's when Hafandin shows back up. Ha <laughs> ha! Well, we, we knew he wasn't dead. No. And also, we know he's an excellent sniper. Yes. Eee. So he shoots Jebby. Yep. Sure yeah. does. Right in uh, the shoulder. Gut shot, actually. Oh, gut shot. Right. Sorry. Gut shot. Which is. They took the shot in the shoulder. Which is the worst kind of injury. Yeah. I know. I probably say this a lot. Poor Jebby. The amount of physical abuses <laughs> that Jebby has to go through. Uh, they get sick a lot. They get beaten. Starved. <laughs> they get starved. They get frozen. They get bombed. Now they've been shot. This poor squishy artist. Not built for this kind of abuse. Arazi sees Hafandin in time to not be able to stop him from shooting, unfortunately. Yeah. And Jebby goes down with the gut shot, and Arazi flattens Hafandin. Like, we don't know the level of damage. It is possible that Arazi has just violated its principle not to inflict harm. It's possible. It might be less, I have knocked down Hafandin in an effort to prevent you from being shot, and more, I have just squashed Hafandin. It's yeah. very unclear in the text. It is very unclear. My guess is that Arazi just sort of covered him up. You know how when you throw down both hands over something, like, Hugh! that's sort of what I what I pictured. Or it could very well have been uh, the famous Godzilla versus Bambi, Monty Python-esque foot of just like, <laughs> just splat. Yeah, I was, I actually was picturing something a little more splat, <laughs> if I'm honest. I, maybe? And I mean, it would be kind of poetic 
that Hefendin would be ended by the weapon of mass destruction he was trying to build. Special just for him. Just for him. Yeah. yeah the one person it could do violence against was the one person who wanted it to do violence. Mwah, <laughs> chef's kiss. <laughs> Uh, but it's possible he survives. We we don't know. Yeah. Uh, Vey does rush back and is like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm sorry. I did. <laughs> he slipped by me. I don't know. I like I was trying to protect you. Yeah, you idiot. We're not supposed to take turns getting hurt. Yeah, and that's where Jebby blacks out. So presumably we'll wake up back in the sick tent. I hope so. Where we've been spending most of the back half of this book. <laughs> Otherwise, book over. I guess. Well, it is from Jebby's perspective, so Jebby probably survives at least a few more chapters. Uh, yeah, there's a sliver of book left. I would say at least at least another two, maybe three. I haven't counted. Yeah. yeah. An eventful chapter. Stuff happens. It goes by very quickly. But yeah. the few action beats that have existed in this novel so far have gone by very quickly, which is, I would argue, the way a good action beat should go. It should be breathless. You oh, should yeah. race through it. So... I said before we turned the microphones on, it was a fast read. It's not the same as a short chapter. Yeah. Right? It was a fast read. It was it was exciting to read through. It was like all this stuff was happening. Um, Hafandon didn't rush up to Jebby. Hafandon was already in the bushes. Mm-hmm. Was Jebby set up? Did Hafandon know that they would be there? That doesn't seem likely. Um, I'm going to actually argue that that's not the case. And here's the reason why. Arazi is not subtle. No, and Arazi really. and Arazi dropped Vey and Jebby off at that location. Hafandin probably saw Arazi taking someone somewhere and split off from the main group to go and intercept, thinking that it might have been perhaps the person who can cause an earthquake or his traitorous duelist Prime being dropped off for some sort of end run around their group. Uh, yeah, that's valid. It makes sense that a stealthy sniper might go and check it out. Mm. Second question, yeah. I think I already know the answer. Why go personally? Why not send an underling of some kind? Because it's personal. Also, he might trust himself to do it better than anybody else. Because he's a stealthy sniper. That's fair. That's true. <laughs> That's true, too. But also, I mean, it is a little personal. That's his dragon that was stolen, and his duelist prime who's betrayed him, and... His that, artist. And that <laughs> stupid artist... Yeah. ...who brought down his summer palace, so not his palace is it well it's where he was working i hope jebby wakes up next chapter <laughs> oh i'm sure they will it's we're the story is from jebby's perspective we have not had a hint of anybody else's perspective on all novels so That's it true. would it would be weird and i've stated this before in previous novels as well it would be very weird from a structural standpoint to switch perspectives this late in the novel i mean it happens but rarely rarely it and it happens. would be a bit jarring so my expectation is that Jebby will survive, or will be in the head of Jebby's ghost. Ooh. We're in a magical fantasy realm. Why not? <laughs> that would be a crazy turn. Like, in a good way, but crazy turn. Woo. Bit of a fast chapter. Turns yeah. into a, a bit of a shorter episode, I guess. Yeah. I think we've touched off all the things we intend to talk about. So, uh, with that said, you'll want to read up on chapter 21 in time for next week. Yes. And we are approaching the end of this novel. And so now is a good time to remind longtime listeners and to let new listeners know kind of how an end of the novel situation works <laughs> here at the read along. Yes. So, we generally go through chapter by chapter, week by week, and take a look at that chapter and that chapter in context to the book and speculate on what might be coming. But when we finish the book, we have the whole book to look at. And so after the final chapter, we do one final episode, which is the full analysis of the book. We go full book club, 
talk about the book as a whole, discuss some book clubby topics, and usually we play Anita's favorite game. <laughs> Cast that movie! That's right. So that's something to look forward to. That'll be the uh, the final episode of this book. That is also the episode where we reveal what our next novel will be, and we will need to select one of those yes. soon. So uh, you can expect uh, a Twitter poll to go up sometime in the next couple weeks uh, with uh, some genres on it for you to help us select what our next genre novel will be. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of input for you there. That's right. So uh, that'll be something to look forward to in in the coming weeks, though. Yeah, we got some time. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, uh, another place where book clubs happen is school. (laughs) It's true. That's right. And you might be looking for different options for schools uh, as we move towards a new school year. Whether you're a student or whether you're a parent with a school-age student, and the Edmonton Public School Board is currently offering virtual tours for people who are interested in checking out what their school options might be. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs, and find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Obviously very Edmonton-centric, but uh, if you are listening out of town or abroad, probably your local school boards are also offering a similar program or setup, so you you should definitely check that out online as well and see what they're offering. Uh, Absolutely. Well, you can also, uh, while you're online, check out the Alberta Podcast Network website. Yes. You'll find a whole bunch of great podcasts, more information about our sponsors. Uh, you can check it out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. If you do find another podcast you like, you can find it on your podcatcher of choice. While you're there, it's probably where you're catching our pod. Probably. If you give us a little rating and a review. Oh, you should. That helps us out. It does. You can also reach out to us on social media. Yes, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. The big three and the bookish one. Yeah, we're at The Read Along. Yes. You can also email us. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Giant Rocky Mouth. Om nom 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 nom. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 